3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be want to make friends, I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to put it all in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, I tell you, if the darn Federal Reserve was so worried about inflation, if they were so convinced that the economy is still running way too hot. then what was the point of not raising interest rates today? I found their statement after they held their meeting quite baffling, mystifying even. because Why would they tell so many people, including journalists, they were going to pause because maybe we didn't need rate hikes when it sure doesn't sound like they believe in a pause? As Nike would tell you, just do it. And this is how you get a roller coaster up, session. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up. Where things look rosy and then the statement comes out for the Fed and the market plummets, ultimately Dow finishing down two hundred and thirty-three points. S&P, which also fell hard, ultimately rebounded from its lows, finishing uh up 0.08%. And the crazy tech-heavy Nasdaq, well, you can't even stop that thing. It got hit but soared right back and only gained 0.39%. And, you know, it's the usual suspects that drove it higher. Now, I hate to be so inside baseballs to talk about the Fed. I know you want to hear about your stocks, not the Fed. But I've been warning you, there's a lot of money. We're talking trillions of dollars, betting that the Fed is going to cut rates by the end of year. cut. Today, we heard the opposite that more rate hikes are coming because inflation is still too high and it isn't coming down to their satisfaction. And that's why I said just now that why pause if you're really so worried? Why not just raise? It's obvious the trajectory is too hot for these people, so cool it down more. But at the same time, so many people thought the economy had slowed already and that the Fed would be satisfied and would even have to cut rates soon, something I told you was just plain ill-advised, stupid reasoning. After all, you can't raise rates and lower rates at the same time. However, these big money managers, and they are on air all day, this is why I'm addressing this, they, who believe that the tightenings are almost over, now realize that they were just wrong. And they need to reposition as fast as they can, meaning they need to do a mass amount of selling practically all at once in a number of stocks that made sense to buy only if they were right about rates, which is that they were going to go lower. That's what started today, and I think it, that kind of... Confused thinking is going to have to play out over a couple of days. Now, for weeks, I've said that I actually like the narrow rally, unlike everybody else, because we can identify the stocks of the narrow rally winners, the Magnificent Seven, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Tesla. And all you do was de-emphasize the others until the market broadened. Then you'd have to start trimming because the bull side would be too crowded with sunshine soldiers who will turn on you the moment things get difficult. That's how we positioned our trust. That's what I've been telling members of the CBC Investing Club. Actually, we reiterated that stance an hour before the Fed said what we most feared. That selling in non-tech stocks is exactly what happened in this session. Like I warned you, the last couple of weeks, the Johnny-come-latelys heard something they didn't like from the Fed, and they just skedaddled. They didn't, they didn't believe in what they owned. They had no conviction. They were only buying because they couldn't take the pain of missing the rally. They can't take the pain of the sell-off now. So they're just selling everything. <laughs> yeah, they never had any conviction. I do not trust my fellow shareholders right now. And Let me tell you something. You shouldn't either. See, it's classic. You don't get rewarded big when you come in as late as people have in the last few weeks. You only get rewarded when you're early. You can't make big money after the majority of the rallies occurred. You make big money before it's obvious. So now we have to bear the selling, which could last for a bit, because so many money managers wrongly bet on what the Fed was going to do. Remember, going today, Wall Street expected some tough talk from the Fed. But we didn't expect them to explicitly say they hit us with multiple rate hikes. You get big moves in either direction when the majority of investors are wrong, as they are right now. Today, it resulted in a big down move in the Dow, and that move could continue because so many hedge funds are too big to do all their selling at once. It'd be easier if they would just come on TV, admit they're wrong, and say they're going to sell, but they're never going to do that, right? Now, that doesn't mean we're looking at the end of the bull market. Far from it. I think the Fed's too excited and sanguine about the economy, We'll sort through things and maybe we'll get the job losses and wage cuts our central bankers are trying to actually engineer. Rents may plummet as we build more apartments. Housing prices might go down as millennials need to start paying their student loans again. It won't happen yet. Lenar reported a great quarter this evening. The, the big home builder. Maybe used and new autos will come down I think used cars are coming down The Fed didn't have that information I suspect all this will slow things to the point Where the Fed won't need to tighten as aggressively As they implied today But it's not going to happen overnight That's why they skipped raising rates today They're giving the economy a chance to get weaker on its own If that doesn't happen, they're going to be right back And they're going to hurt us Now let's talk about something that has less to do with the Federal Reserve And more to do with human nature I want to talk about greed about greed, about how bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs. (laughs) Lately, we've had too much greed around here. I think greed is fine in moderation. But at a certain point, it starts to cloud your judgment and makes things too frothy, especially with the stocks of not-so-hot companies that will suffer if rates keep going higher, as we heard is going to happen today. You have people who are willing to buy anything that seems like it was connected to AI, right? Even when it really isn't connected to artificial intelligence. You have people who believe we're still going to get a lot of takeovers and acquisitions, despite an FTC that's totally hostile to merger activity. You have people who are convinced the mini banking crisis is over with and done. You have people in denial who tell you the Fed can't possibly maintain its tough stance, and Jay Powell is just playing tough, and he is going to cut rates soon. That is all greed-inspired, wishful thinking. Those wishful thinkers have to leave the building before we have our next level of advance. It makes it very difficult for that to happen. These same people were on the sidelines collecting their 4 or 5% interest on cash. They missed this whole rally up 20% from the bottom. Now they're thinking, oh, it's easy. We can come in and start making big money. It doesn't work like that. Today, Pal told them they should just go back into cash and save some money, go buy bonds, Don't go buy stocks. That's what he's basically saying, if you want to know the the subtext. They moved back to the stock market at the wrong time. So now they're going to go turn tail and go back to the sidelines. When these weak hands are done dumping stocks, we're going to start rallying again. Now, the good news is that there are still plenty of companies that are doing well, especially in what I call the nation state tax. But we've got to recognize that this market's about to get a lot narrower again. When will the torture end? As I said again and again, until we see no wage growth, until we see unemployment go up, this Federal Reserve will feel compelled to raise rates. That's what they're looking at. They don't want to tamp down on inflation only to blink at the last moment and let it fester. They want to kill inflation stone dead by killing wage growth. Okay? let me tell you why. We're all trying to figure out if we're going to have a soft landing or hard landing. Right. You keep hearing that. Well, you know what we left out? What if the plane doesn't want to go down at all? Today, the Fed told us there's just too much jet fuel left in the tank. So it's not safe to land this thing because it could catch fire the moment we hit the runway. They can't land the plane until they beat inflation. Powell and company are saying, hey, let's circle around the airport. Let's burn off that excess fuel and then make a stab at it. Too many thought that the Fed was done. Too many thought the plane was slowing really quickly. They didn't know it was going to have to circle for a while. They thought we were well on our way to beating inflation to the point where the plane might even need to refuel in midair with some nice rate cuts by the end of the year. Today, the Fed made it clear that the last thing we need is that and that we're going to have to wait a little bit more. Bottom line, we need some more fuel burning. We need some more shakeout. We need to see fewer greedy people. We need the greedy people to finish selling. We need those who just came in off the sidelines to go back off this, into the sidelines. Then and only then will the market be ready to resume the advance. For now, we're just gonna get narrower again, perhaps from lower levels, as we circle the wagons around the magnificent seven tech stocks and a handful of others with great secular growth themes that brought us up here in the first place. Expect a shakeout, it's coming. Ronnie in Georgia, Ronnie. Booyah, Kramer, booyah. Booyah, what's up? Longtime fan, first-time
1: caller, I want to know what your thoughts are on Tesla stock, as today it snapped a 13-day winning streak, probably the most overbought stock on the streak. But as the company continues to be a force in the EV market as they close out their charging deals with Ford and General Motors, not
3: to mention that today Morgan Stanley reiterated Tesla is overweight. Well, look, I have to think Tesla's a really good company. I tend to look at, uh, at how dominant they are, and they're the most dominant company in the industrial phase that I've seen in ages. And I think when the stock comes down, it was up 13 straight days. When the stock comes down, me, when the stock comes down maybe you buy some. Uh, but I'm not against Tesla at all. I think it's a good situation. Dan in California. Dan.
1: Hello, Mr. Kramer. First of all, I want to say thank you for everything you do, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. My You're question are quite is welcome. Kind of Thank you. A little bit different. Okay. Uh, I About 10 to 15 years ago, I bought a substantial amount of Pepsi. About 18 months ago, I bought a fair amount of Celsius based on your interview with the CEO and your recommendation on it. Uh, then along comes Pepsi and they off, and they invest $550 million into Celsius. I know you've predict or you say, do not ever buy a stock based on where you think they're going to make a takeover. Correct. But here, I'm
3: in a situation now where I own both of them. I love both of them and I don't want to sell either one of them. Then don't. So. I think they're both great. They're very different animals. Pepsi is a senior growth stock and Celsius is a junior growth stock and they both have terrific trajectories and I think you'll do fine. Is it diversified on both? Only within a larger confines of a portfolio, but I like both stocks very much. That darn Celsius, wow, what a hot stock. All right, we need the greedy people to, fit, you know, the ones who came in late to the party. They got, they've got. they been wrong and they got to finish selling what they just bought and that's the churning that you're going to experience over the next couple of Days. Only then will this market be ready for a broader rally. On man Money tonight, Bolero's had a ball in 2023. So what will it take for the stock to be a strike for your portfolio? I'm digging into the story with the CEO. And earlier we held our monthly meeting exclusively for subscribers to the CBC Investing Club. And there were so many incredible questions from club members that we decided to answer some of them tonight. And you don't want to miss it. And last week we covered a company called Confluent. We like the story. So we're taking an even closer look at how AI has helped the stock catch fire. And that's with the CEO himself. So stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
3: What's happening in the stock of Bolero, the bowling alley roll up that came public roughly a year and a half ago via a SPAC merger? You know, know I started recommending this one last October. It's an exciting place to be. Stock was at 13, climbed to 17 in March. Since then, the stock's faltered, it's tumbled all the way down to 12 bucks. What went wrong? Well, Bolero reported this last quarter, they did have some discouraging commentary talking about slowing traffic that deteriorated over the course of the first quarter and into April. I don't want to hear that. doesn't help also that the company's been hit by some headlines, courtesy of a long-running investigation by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. But that certainly hasn't hurt the comps. Does all this justify the stock's 28% decline from its March highs? In other words, how worried should we be? Or perhaps this is actually the great opportunity. Let's check in with Tom Shannon. He's the founder and chairman CEO of Bolero. Get a better sense of what's going on here. Mr. Shannon, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's good to see you. Great, Tom. Hey, so give me a sense, first of all, I mean, we found out that April wasn't that strong, but we have now in May, uh, half of June. Are things picked up? They have.
1: yep. So uh, we started to see a weakness, a slowing. Look, I don't want to I don't want to overly dramatize what we were seeing. You know, when you come from 20 plus percent comps uh, for a couple of years running, uh, you know, anything compared to that seems like you've slowed down. But uh, I will say that uh, I I think that things have flattened out uh, and we are on the ascent now. So I wouldn't be surprised based on what I'm seeing now if by the end of this quarter we're we're back to positive comps.
3: Okay. so you were negative comps.
1: Yeah, slightly different, slightly negative in the in the single digit range, nothing too dramatic. And by the way, on a total company basis, uh, pretty close to flat. So same store. Uh, slightly negative uh, whole company about flat.
3: Okay, so I mean, I think bowling's pretty consistent. Was there any reason you think that? I know that you could say, well, listen, it's hard comparisons, but I mean, you're a growth company. And when you uh, take over lanes, you make them better. And so I want to be sure that there isn't some sort of like general turn against like, you know, going out bowling.
1: No, not at all. And look, you think about what happened in the end of the last quarter. You had Silicon Valley Bank collapse, you had uh, the looming debt crisis. Um, you have all these layoffs in Silicon Valley. And uh, and so there are, there are a lot of macro headwinds and negative headlines out there. And we persevered through all of that. So, you know, I, I think we're fine. Um, you know, we announced uh, one of our biggest acquisitions to date, Lucky Strike, which right. will close this summer, $80 million. We're buying that in a very attractive valuation. It's got a phenomenal brand name. we just amended our debt facility. We added $250 million dollars To our term loan and another 35 million uh to our revolver so we have about 400 plus million dollars of liquidity uh we're buying and building everywhere and we're seeing i think you know right now we're at about flat uh in same store sales i think you'll see us trending up by the end of the quarter and i think uh you know the rest of the year will shape up very nicely
3: okay so if the average unit volume is is come back i mean people are uh, people are bowling. You're, they're spending a lot of money. I don't want to run into, say, like a student loan problem where the student loan suddenly they have to be paid at plus Silicon Valley. <laughs> I mean, that would be that would discourage me because there's so much there's a boom in travel and entertainment around the country There's a real boom.
1: Yeah, look, w- when you're averaging volume is up like close to 50 percent versus pre pandemic. You know, you're we're, we're starting out in an extremely good position. Right. So. The quarter, by the way, was blockbuster. Almost no attention was paid to the quarter. Record-breaking quarter in the company's history. $316 million of revenue in the quarter, $128 million of adjusted EBITDA. We've bought back almost 4% of our float. In the quarter, we redeemed a third of the preferred. Uh, you know, we're doing a lot of very shareholder-friendly moves. And, and business was extremely strong. In the quarter, by the way, same-store sales growth was 17%. So, yeah, this quarter's a bit of a pause. and I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I would I would strongly recommend that people not think that this is, you know, in any way catastrophic or in any way indicative of where I think we'll end up in in the very near term.
3: Okay. well, I want to be sure. I mean, there's this guy, Jeremy Hamlin. He follows you from Craig Hallam. uh, He's a senior research analyst, and he's worried that there's been a lot of noise related to EOC review that's pending here. Could that be driving the stock down?
1: I mean, I suppose, look, we've never been hit by a lawsuit. Uh, we've never been hit with anything, you know, in terms of evidentiary uh, findings or anything like that. Uh, you know, EEOC, ha, you know, is is in the process of investigating literally thousands of companies at, at any one time. So, you know, we haven't been served with any action, so I can't really comment on it. But, you know. Would it be material, if there was an action, would it be material to the company in any
3: way? No. Um, and anyway, I just want to clear this up. Um, they've not served you, uh, but they're obviously leaking it to people. Um, if it's not true, you are indeed allowed to sue the EEOC that's in the, uh, in the regs. So would you take them to court if they're saying things that they shouldn't? I don't think the EEOC is
1: saying anything. I think it's this plaintiff's lawyer who's, who's out there leaking this along with a complicit journalist, unfortunately, who has gone from the New York Post to now CNBC.com. You know, these these allegations are frankly absurd. They they don't they don't pass the sniff test. They don't pass any common sense.
3: Well, it came up in the conference call. You know, I mean, it may be complicit, maybe not, but this guy, well, I'm trying to figure out of a stock I recommended that's going from 17 to 12. I have hurt people. I'm trying to figure out how I hurt people. Did I hurt people because I thought the bowling was universally loved and it would never slow? Did I hurt people because I didn't know about this EOC thing? I have to figure out why I, because I have the show, it's my show, May have money, it's not your show, may have gotten this wrong. I mean, I think you have to respect that. I totally do. And
1: look, you were uh, one of the first people who really recognized the company. And we really appreciate that, Jim. And the last thing I'm going to make you do is look stupid. Look, I have a very significant holding in this company. And I couldn't be more comfortable with that holding. Our performance is exceptional. We have, look, in that quarter that that just passed, that $128 million adjusted EBITDA quarter, our EBITDA margin was 40.4%. I mean, this is a company that's really firing on all cylinders. We're in massive growth mode, and, uh, you know, growth is not linear, right? Like, no growth is linear, right? So you're not going to be comping same-store sales at 20% quarter after quarter after quarter. There are going to be some quarters that are better than others. And, you know, but this is hardly uh, catastrophic or indicative of any uh, movement away from bowling.
3: So then I think what we do is we see that next quarter, and then if the quarter's good, we know that it was wrong that the stock was at 12 pretty fair.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the company announced 200 million dollar stock buyback a while ago. We just authorized another 70 million dollars to refill the 70 million we've spent and we're actively deploying it. So the company is a believer in the stock. The company is uh, is very bullish.
3: All right, are you a believer? Have you been able
1: to buy? Well, or board members, Yes. Actually, board members have bought our new CFO, Bobby Lavin, who we just got from uh, Bally's, who's the CFO at Bally's. He's bought uh, an- another director I'm aware of has bought. Um, I'm not aware of any directors or anyone else who's sold. Okay. Um,
3: yeah. Well, it sounds like we have to you know, wait and see because it is bowling and you did make that great acquisition of Lucky Strike. And you know, maybe the stock just was mispriced at 12. So we'll have to see. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, look,
1: I think we're trading right now about, about eight times um, and we're growing, you know, the consolidated uh, EBITDA of the company is growing double digits. So I think yeah. we're very, very cheap, uh, certainly relative to our growth profile.
3: Fair enough. That's how we'll leave it. Thomas Shannon, founder and CEO of Bolero, BOWL. We're going to see that next quarter. Thank you, Tom. Good to know you came on the show. Appreciate it. Good to see you, Jim. OK, man, Money's back for the break.
4: Coming up.
3: Welcome to the June Investing Club meeting.
4: Kramer takes more of your
5: questions. Keep it here. From their innovative practice facility...
3: Earlier today, we had something that I think and am passionate about. We had our Investing Club monthly meeting where my colleague Jeff Marks and I go through our thought process for the club. We discuss our current holdings, take some member questions. It's one of my favorite things to do, and we always have more questions than we have time. It's also been a day of full ups and downs for the market and the Fed. On volatile market days like this one, it's always good to take a closer look at at your investing thesis. We thought this was the perfect opportunity to dig a little deeper into your questions. So we're taking some leftovers from the club meeting today. So let's take a real hard look, because if you're not a part of the club and want to be, and I sure hope you will, uh, all you got to do is you got to open your camera, look at the phone thing, you scan the QR. You know all that stuff by now. I want you to be a member or go to CBC.com slash investing club if you want to go the old-fashioned way. So first up, we have a question from David in Florida, who asks, knowing that it depends on the economic climate at any given time, in terms of percentage, what is does it generally recommend a cash position of the total value of a portfolio? Okay, look, it really does. If you think the market's wild and crazy and overbought, I mean, there's been too much up, then you take stock down and you add cash. So you might want to take a little bit off of each position, might want to take the positions that you don't like. Uh, the ones that you've been saying, listen, I wish you'd get rid of as this, if the market goes up too much, you sell those. I think that we have uh, 8.84% cash because we felt that the market was due for a pullback, and we still do. But it's up to you and what you feel comfortable with. But if you join the club, you'll see how our thinking is on how we raise cash and why. Now let's go to Mark in Texas who wants to know regarding AI. Is Cadence design system, CDNS, or Marvel Technologies a better way to have exposure to the plumbing, which is the time to increase exposure and add the longs in nvidia well this is really difficult and i'll tell you why because both are perfect marvell does the plumbing uh, the optical plumbing cadence does the packaging okay and you can't make, i'll tell you this you really can't use nvidia without the packaging so let's say cadences of the two is the best I would also say Cadence business is great. Marvell has a lot of business away from what we just talked about, but Marvell's doing fine. And the reason why I'm so torn on this question is I've been hoping that either one of those stocks would come down so we could buy one for the charitable trust. But they're both up a great deal, and they're both incredibly well-managed. Now we're taking a question from another David in Florida who asks, I'm holding Eli Lilly through ups and downs, waiting for Mojana to be be approved for weight loss. Even though it's pending, hasn't the approval been built into the stock price already? Thank you. This is a brilliant question. The answer is is that there are always people out there who have not heard of it, and there are always other people out there who think it won't get approved. And then there's another cohort that says there is a competitor – known as Regovi, that's made by Novo Nordisk, and how is the competition stack up against Lilly? In this particular case, the drugs are basically equal, but Regovi has been approved for everything so far. But Regovi does not have, because it's Novo Nordisk, enough capacity to meet demand. demand. Lilly, on the other hand, is building capacity furiously for demand. So the answer will be, there'll be a lot of demand, there's not enough supply, the people who have the supply will be Eli Lilly. So when they get approved, I think the stock can go still higher, even though it's one of our biggest wins. Next up, we have Rex, who asks Jim, I've often heard you state that bulls and bears make money and pigs get slaughtered. Can you set some insight into the art of profit taking? And is the concept of profit taking ever applied to your own it, don't trade it stock category? I love this question. Uh, On the call, candidly, I answered exactly this issue, where I said that there are conflicting doctrines in my thinking. One is that you always want to take some profits because you don't want to be a pig. Wolves make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. On the other hand, I have stocks where I say, own it, don't trade it. Where this meets and butts heads is if you have so much of it, because it's moved up so much, like all the people I met at the bottle signing who owned NVIDIA, who had made millions of dollars, you've got to take some of that off the table. So profit-taking Preserving your cash, making sure your stock doesn't go down is more important than the doctrine of own it, don't trade it. So if you have, say, Apple and it's become, say, 15 percent of your portfolio or 20, you got to take some profits. you got to lower it. you got to make it smaller. And you can't give back that gain. It's a very art, not science issue. Go over today's call and you will see it. It is chapter and verse how to do it. Now, let's go to James in Florida. I guess everybody's in Florida who asked Mr. Kramer. What are your thoughts on SkyWorks Solutions? Thank you, booyah. Okay, we met recently with Liam Griffin, who's the CEO of SkyWorks Solutions, when we were in Los Angeles. I think the stock, which is very levered to cell phones, uh, both uh, Apple and, and Qualcomm, got hit by, I mean, uh, Apple and, um, and Samsung, both, both businesses, Apple was actually strong, Samsung was weak. Samsung was surprising it this week. This stock is way too cheap because if Samsung comes back, which I think it will, you'll end up being paying playing 120, 125. So the answer to me is this stock's a buy. I thought Liam handled himself very well. I'd like you to go back and watch the interview. It was the only public comment that Liam did. And I think it really explains to you why I think that the stock's a buy. Next one, we got a question from Jeff who asks, what's your opinion on dealing with dead money? in a stock that hasn't recovered over six months and does not pay a dividend. Okay, this depends on whether there's a catalyst. If there's a catalyst ahead, something that could ignite the stock, then you have to hold on to it. If there isn't, then you should sell it. I violated my own discipline on this with a company called Bausch Health, and I'm tortured about it because I don't know what to do. I do feel like if I sell it, the stock will go up. This is just human nature that I'm talking about. And if I don't sell it, though, I think the stock does nothing. So dead money that is a trampoline is fine. Dead money that could go to zero is not fine. Analyze that for yourself. Now let's go to David in South Carolina who asks, with oil stabilizing over $70 a barrel, the new cuts from OPEC, China reopening, and demand in the U.S., do you see oil stocks rising into Q3? I have said no. I do not think. I want a couple oils, particularly oils that have good dividends and that have special situations like Cotara, which has got 50% natural gas, which they are going to need if it's cold in Europe. Like the Permian, pioneer because they have the lowest finding costs of any major oil company in the world. Those are special situations and otherwise not good market for oil, which I think can go even lower than it has so far. Now, I have to tell you, on volatile days like this, It always is good to take a step back, assess your holdings, and do your homework on the markets. So if you want to be part of the next month's Investing Club meeting, scan the QR code or go to cnbc.com, join the club. The questions you just heard are very representative of what I talk about at our monthly meetings and what our bullens are. And the questions are really great. And I've got to tell you, I wish I had all the answers. I do my best to come up with answers that have been right more than they've been wrong. That's all you can ask. That money's back. Get to the break. Coming
4: up, it was a confluence of events that put this stock on Kramer's radar. An up-close look at a potential portfolio winner next.
3: Last week, I introduced you to a couple of red-hot enterprise software names. They were part of the ill-fated IPO class of 2021. After getting killed last year, they've come roaring back and the ones that come back are the good ones. Today, one of them sold off hard. I'm talking about Confluent, which is a data infrastructure story. Their data streaming platform helps clients harness their data as efficiently as possible. After searching from 20 uh, uh, to the high 30s in the past six weeks, Confluent had a bit of a speed bump. It fell nearly 7 percent to 34. Why? I think the stock's been up on a straight line. I think it's pure profit taking after a massive, magnificent last quarter. So, is this pullback an opportunity? Let's take a close look with Jay Krebs. He's the co-founder, and chairman, and CEO of Confluent. We'll learn more, Mr. Krebs. Welcome to Mad Money. It's good to be here. All right. So first of all, you're one of the few companies that came from a tough cohort where everybody finally realized, you know what? We really need these guys. This is a real company. So tell people, please, if you don't mind, why companies, and I'm talking about a lot of big companies that people have heard of, companies like a Netflix, companies like a, a Square, a Ticketmaster, Whirlpool, they all need you. Yeah.
5: Yeah. You know, there's been a rise of a whole new paradigm for using data, which is around streaming. And it's not that different from like on your TV where instead of having all the CDs stored, it kind of streams right down to you as you need it. It's a similar thing with data. Like the, the focus in data for the longest time was like storage of data. Right. It was that's like- that's what we thought about this. Yeah, it was the oracles and maybe more recently the mongos and the snowflakes. Right. they like the memory banks where the data goes to sit. And we're kind of more like the central nervous system that you know, kind of connects it all together and has the data flowing in real time and lets you kind of react and respond as things happen and that you know has has turned out to be something that's incredibly mainstream.
3: Well, uh, you have this there's this open source technology uh, that everybody uses. Yeah. And, and it's called Apache Capital, but it reminds me, it's <laughs> like we work at LinkedIn. But it's something people get and they can't necessarily just bring the free source in and make make it work. They have they need somebody like Confluent yeah. to make it work. Yeah.
5: Yeah, so we, we offer a managed cloud service, you know, across the three major clouds that, you know, offers this to you as a service. So instead of hiring a team and standing up your own servers, you can just kind of get it on demand and consume it. And, you know, we take account for all the operations and delivery of it. And then we also offer that as like a licensed software offering in people's data centers. And that's our that's our business model.
3: Okay, so the large travel agency that you alluded yeah. to, uh, yeah. how do they use you and how would AI help them even use you better? Yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of interest around data in the context of AI. You know, if you think about what companies are trying to do, they have all this data locked up in all these different systems, and they're trying to take advantage of these new capabilities. And so if you have something like the OpenAI uh, language model, it has general knowledge about the world, but it doesn't know about your business and your customers and your stuff. And so how can you combine those two things? you have to kind of unlock all that data and get it in the right place at the right time. So a good example is in travel. We have a customer where they wanted to build an agent that interacts with their customers so that instead of calling them on the phone, you can immediately find out like, hey, where's my flight or what's happening or can I rebook. But to do that, they have to take this language model and then take the stream of what's going on and make that accessible so that they can send it off you know, to, to prompt right, Well, is the, the alternative
3: that they try to build it themselves across a lot of money do they know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, often the alternative for our customers
5: is, um, you know, they need data streaming, but their, their other choice would be trying to do it themselves right. with open source. And the, the challenge with that is usually it just takes a long time. And it's usually a lot more expensive. You know, one of the things about these cloud services is they can actually be cheaper than even free software, because when you think about what you're spending. It's not just the software, it's the, it's the hardware, it's the people, all of that gets rolled up into these services that companies consume.
3: And I think one of the things that happened with you, well, there was that in the co all anybody cared about was revenue growth. Yeah. And then suddenly people said, listen, we actually want to see companies that make money. You did that pivot and yet you didn't lose your revenue growth.
5: Yeah, 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 that was a hard adjustment for us. You know, obviously there's a big market in our space. And right. so the number one goal has to be go get that. And if you don't, if you don't capture that new opportunity, then you're nowhere. But we felt that, you know, hey, there's an opportunity to really take the path to profitability faster. And so we put a lot of efforts in to make sure that we could hit um, you know, non-gap break even by the end of this year. And that was definitely a significant pull forward. And we wanted to do it in a way that didn't just sacrifice growth, that didn't just kind of stop and give up on that. Because in our space, there is a bit of a land grab in this new area, and whoever gets it has it for a long time. All
3: right, well, tell me, I, mean, I just want to kind of know the process. Yeah. But Netflix, Walmart, Instacart, BMW, City, Morgan City. these are big firms. Yeah. So you just have Salesforce just knocking on doors saying, listen, whatever you're doing with your data stream, we can do it better?
5: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, the, if you were going door to door, Right, with right. your sales team trying to tell some new paradigm for data. Right. It'd be like a long hike, right? Yeah. And this is actually where the open source helps. You know, the, the key thing for us is connect with the right use case, the right team that's building the right thing in a big company. And we don't want to do that you know, by going door to door. We want you know, developers to find us. And so for us, you know, the prevalence of the open source, the kind of low friction access to our cloud service, all that makes it really easy for us to find the right use case and then help it spread within a company. We want to grow from that first use case to where they're literally connecting, you know, everything in their organization around these real-time streams.
3: Okay, so uh, I want to know that there's a mode here. Yes. Like, you yes. know, I'm listening to Larry Ellison last night, talking to Oracle, for, yeah. and he's basically yeah. saying, we're going to destroy anybody who's in our area. I, I, I talked to Frank Slootman, oh, they're going to destroy everybody. There. Yeah. I mean, why won't they go after a confluent?
5: Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the good news is we're very complementary with data storage, right? You know, we're streaming. It's its own thing. It's about how you connect it all up. And that's a problem that has kind of largely been ignored. And then beyond that, you know, there's a lot of technology to build one of these cloud services. It's not that we've just kind of taken the open source right. and, and given it to customers. That was kind of the older model, right. was kind of selling support on open source, the red hats of the world, the right. areas of the world built, you know, I, I think in some cases, respectable businesses around it. But in the cloud, there's a different way, right? right. Which is really building something that's differentiated, that has a deep moat of technology right. that, that nobody else can deliver. And I think that's the best way if you want to have you know, a software business with, you know, the kind of margins of a software sure. company, you have to have that. You have to have a way of doing things that's better and faster and cheaper and is unique to well, you.
3: Well, that's very clear that that's exactly what you have. Like why we we profiled you last week, why your meeting went very well, why the stock's been straight up. Yeah. And to me, if it didn't have to take a little profit, then it was just nuts. I mean, yeah. stocks don't yeah. go straight yeah. up to the sky. Yeah. That's, a, that's true. A, this one's had a really good run. That's Jay Krebs. He's co-founder and chairman and CEO of Confluent. Look, maybe the most important thing if you see the proven success stories about who they work with, and you realize, boy, they have the right customers, so maybe they're the right company. Bad money's back in. right?
4: Coming up, what's in your mind, Craymerica? Give us a call. The lightning round is storming the NYSE. Next.
3: course, one of the famous stuff to play. And then the lightning is over. Are you ready, ski dad? Time for the light round. Chris Let's start with Jason in New Jersey. Jason, Jim Big Booya from Auburn, New Jersey. Oh, uh, thank you. But, no problem. I've got a quick question for you. A company I'm interested in was just added to the uh, Nasdaq 100. It is down over 10 uh, points off of its uh, high. The company is uh, GE Healthcare. Yeah, that's exactly why we've been buying it for the Chapel Trust. Don't forget, this is really important, that if there are indeed more elective surgeries, there's going to be more need for their uh, big MRIs. I think GE Healthcare is a screaming buy right here. Bye, 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 bye. And we bought some more today. Let's go to Jim in, that's for the Trust, Jim in Florida. Jim.
4: Yes, Mr.
3: Kramer. Yes. Have
4: I got a stock for you. Okay. NGL Energy Partners, symbol N. G-L. You're right.
3: Yeah, I love it. You know, I like these. Uh, it, this is one of these logistics companies that moves fuel. Anytime I see those, I do like them. I think that's the sweetest part of the, of the energy complex right now. Let's go to Brian in Wisconsin. Brian. Kim, Booyah from Greenfield, Wisconsin. Oh, fantastic. What's up? Uh, the stock I wanted to ask about today has had a lot of ups and downs over the last few years. It would be fuel cell. No, see, they should be making money by now. There's no reason why they are still losing money. I cannot recommend that stock on this show. It's just not right. Let's go to Tom in Wisconsin. Tom. Yeah, Booyah from Wisconsin, Jim. I'd like to ask about a stock. Uh, Its PE is 5.7. Its earnings per share is $186 a share. And it's... uh, in electric, gas, and oil, and it's pompous energy. It's Brazilian. We Everything you described that was in America, I'd be saying, But I cannot recommend these, I'm sorry, it's Argentinian. I cannot recommend the stocks that are Argentinian or Brazilian. Why? Because Argentina's got runaway inflation and Brazil's got an unstable government. So I'm going to say no, take profits in Papa. It's just too high. Let's go to Cameron in New York. Cameron. Booyah! First Booyah. Time caller, Jim. Excellent. So, everything I've seen online, and even from you, this stock is supposedly killing it. But, it's been all going down this year. So what the heck is going on with Unfazed Energy? Okay, a lot of people feel it's more levered to the actual interest rates that people have to uh, borrow at in order to get the solar equipment. Um, I happen to think that home solar equipment is here to stay, and you're getting a terrific opportunity to buy this stock much lower. So I am in the camp of, now let's go to Scott in Alabama. Scott. Hey Jimmy, this is Scott from Alabama. Okay. I wish you a big booyah. Booyah back. Uh-oh. I'm looking at a stock that's sitting at a historic low,
1: with uh, the Fed out of moves now. It's annually capital. See, I don't
3: think think the Fed's out of the mood, and that's a stock that I think is a trap. It always looks like it has a high yield, but the fact is it's been a terrible performer for years and years. I want you to stay away from it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what bad news did a bankable CEO recently deliver to the People's Republic? Chips, China, and a shot across the bow. Next.
3: You thought yesterday was bad for AMD shareholders when the stock got hit. Think about how much worse it was for the People's Republic of China. I've been recommending AMD since it was at five dollars. It's at 127 as CEO Lisa Su keeps giving us faster, more exciting processors. Yesterday was no different. AMD held a big AI event, and you don't get representatives from Meta and Amazon Web Services on the stage with you, unless you've got a first-rate product. Those are first-rate clients. But it sure wasn't a good day for China, because the faster AMD makes these chips, the less likely it is that homegrown Chinese semiconductor companies can keep up with them. And they have to be homegrown, because our government won't permit the export of the highest-tech chips or the machines that make them to the PRC. that goes double for the even more powerful chips that NVIDIA rolled out a couple of weeks ago. Right now, China's in a tough spot. I bet the Chinese Communist Party was thrilled when Biden won the election because they probably figured they could. How could anybody be worse, tougher than Trump with an aggressive trade war and tariffs? Then Biden comes in and picks a brilliant businesswoman as his commerce secretary, Gina Raimondo. And she decided not to be the typical glad handing trade booster who normally gets that job. Instead, Raimondo decided to take on the Chinese government by blocking the export of her most powerful semiconductors, mainly those from NVIDIA, but also AMD. Without these ships, China simply can't build out the kind of artificial intelligence that the Western world's embracing. There are only so many microprocessors that can smuggle in under the table. Remember, that's a huge plot point in The Departed, which was actually based on a terrific Hong Kong cop movie bringing things full circle. Raimondo made things even more difficult on the semiconductor capital equipment front. Their customers are now getting huge subsidies to build new plants here in America, but they're also not permitted to sell their highest-end equipment to China. We already have a massive lead in chip design, but within a few years, we could have a major presence in chip manufacturing. They're very different. Good news because we're currently hostage to foundries in Taiwan, which is the one place on Earth the Chinese government keeps telling us they want to invade. Of course, here in America, we still have a sense that China's surpassing us in every phase of our development everywhere. Everybody seems to think they're running circles around us. In reality, though, that's no longer the case. China's always going to be an exporter, an important exporter. But it's now behind Mexico and Canada in the most recent trade figures because we've had two successive presidents who stiff armed the Chinese and encouraged trade with NAFTA. And you know what? It's going to be very hard for China to regain its preeminence in manufacturing. At the very least, it's going to require a much bigger stimulus plan than what we've been hearing about. Plus, China's gotten too rich. If multinationals really want to outsource, they'll build their factories in poorer countries with lower wages. And lots of production is happening right here. Whether it's the big commodities like steel or the smarter plastics, the United States is now winning. Meanwhile, the PRC is desperate for our natural gas liquids, which they need to make all that plastic. And those exports could be those exports could be shut down in a heartbeat if we wanted them to. So where does this leave China? They certainly have no hope of catching up to us in generative AI. They're not going to get tons of foreign direct investment to make cheap stuff. Go into Walmart. Most of those clothes seem like they're I see Sri Lanka, Jordan, Vietnam, Cambodia on the names on the collars. Now, of course, there are two hopes for China. One is to end the war between Ukraine and Russia, their ally, so they can go back and be a big customer of the countries that sided with Ukraine. So far, not so good. Or two, they take a run at Taiwan to solve their microprocessor problems. Of course, if they invade Taiwan, they'll. Run Run into the risk of starting World War III because our government might intervene directly. But the Communist Party might be willing to take that crazy chance. I think things are getting desperate in China. They can't grow. They're being left behind in tech. Can't even steal these high end super chips anymore. The go- Chinese government might feel compelled to snap up Taiwan in order to get an edge, which is why I hope our government stations just a handful of troops to take the invasion scenario off the table. Other than Gina Raimondo, though, I'm not sure anyone in this administration truly understands the very real threat that a trapped Chinese government finds itself in. I'd like to say this is always a bull market summer. I'm trying to find it just for you right here at Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last Call starts now.
0: its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.